The Water Values Podcast, Session 129. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Again, a great show for you today. We have um, Doug Hatler of Fracta Inc. You've probably heard a lot about Fracta lately. Uh, They've been in the news a lot about uh, bringing artificial intelligence, machine learning to infrastructure. And we're going to have a great conversation with Doug. He's going to educate us uh, about a number of different aspects of how uh, AI and machine learning are impacting the water sector and how you can, uh, you know, how those technologies uh, are developing. So it's, it's really going to be a a fascinating discussion. We also have Reese Tisdale back with us for another Bluefield on tap segment. And Reese is going to uh, identify a trend in the P3 sector. Uh, You know, a recent transaction took place. And so we're going to talk about uh, that, what it might mean for the larger sector uh, and some other issues concerning P3. So uh, we have a lot to get to today. I want to thank whoever was the individual who uh, rated the podcast, gave us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate it. Uh, also, please consider leaving a review if you don't mind. And if you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast, please consider going in and, and giving us a rating and a review. It just helps uh, others who are looking for a podcast to find uh, find the Water Values Podcast. So uh, with that, let's get to Reese Tisdale with Bluefield on Tap. So here we go. Well, hey, Reese, welcome back to another Bluefield on Tap session. Glad to have you back with us. How's your summer going? Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, uh, what's on your mind uh, these days regarding the water sector? Right. And so these are, these are essentially public private partnerships, right. That are, that are getting sold off for operation and maintenance of a, a, a utility system. Yeah. So, so let's, let's dig in a little bit. First off, what does it mean for the water sector that, that American uh, decided to get out of these, this suite of contracts? So 
tribes has gone down year over year according to our data. And American is a good example. They weren't doing as well as they thought. And it also wasn't leading to acquisitions, probably more importantly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk about the bigger trend that you just identified, and that is is the the three P space for O and M or the P three space for O and M uh, being in decline. What do, do you have any thoughts on on kind of what's driving that? Yeah, you know, I, I think on those longer-term deals that you mentioned, it's really hard to get the incentives to align for both the utility owner and the operator manager. I mean, the, the balance between capital spend and maintenance spend is always a challenge. Um, you know, the, the level of rate increases and who controls that, and and I, they're just they're just a lot of uh, tough tough issues in those those types of agreements. It seems. Um, I, I do like what you're saying about, uh, you know, about smart water and those types of kind of uh, targeted aspects of P3. So it's not it's not taking over the whole utility. It's it's just it's just hitting functional components. Uh, do you have any more thoughts on on where that might be going or what or what's you know, what what is the market showing us right now? Yeah, yeah. Just for the record, I do think all those those kind of smaller slice uh, contracts with 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 private entities, I, I I consider those P3s because they are they they are kind of uh, uh, public private partnerships in the sense that that the private sector is helping the uh, the utility in a very discreet sense. So, um, Reese, again, always enjoy speaking with you. So thanks so much for coming on. Really uh, appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your thoughts about what's hitting the market, uh, the water market these days. Thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, talk again soon in the fall. You, you bet. Thanks, Reese. Bye. Well, as always, Reese does a great job with Bluefield on tap. Today's segment, uh, obviously, he uh, he kind of dove deeply on the P3 issue and and what American Waters divestiture of that portfolio of 23 uh, O&M contracts might mean. Uh, Violi took those on. Uh, very interesting uh, kind of, uh, you know, undercurrents for the water market uh, that Reese identified. So really appreciate Reese taking the time to share some of his market insights with us. Uh, next it's on to the main event. We have Doug Hatler of Fracta Inc. who's going to talk to us, uh, talk with us about machine learning and artificial intelligence. So with that said, let's get on with it. Let's open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Doug, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing some of your knowledge with us today. Uh, for starters, could you uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got interested in water? Yeah, it's 
I was at a picnic over the weekend at, at a friend's house, and I was walking down. They live next to a creek. And I walked down next to the creek, and I looked at it, and I said to myself, you know what? I grew up on a creek in Union County, Alcorn, Roselle, New Jersey. We had a creek in our back, and we played that creek all the time. The creek flooded. It flooded our house. Later on, I, I moved into a, we moved to a lake community called Lake Hopatcon in New Jersey. We used to uh, go to sh go to vacation at the New Jersey coast. I live on Lake now. I think it started with that creek in the backyard of Roselle. Um, from there, I wanted to study environmental science, and I did at Rutgers. And then I went back and got interested more in engineering, and I was cleaning up hazardous waste sites and just was focused on, you know, man's impact on the environment. And I just fell in love with water. Got it. Sure. Sure. So what are you doing now? What are you doing these days? Well, about almost 20 years ago, I pivoted away from being a practitioner in industry and consulting and working on remediation and cleanup and regulatory compliance. And I got into the application of technology and specifically software, software that could be used by environmental engineers and health and safety professionals to make their life more productive, to help them more efficiently comply with government regulations and so forth, um, including, you know, water that, I mean, software that was used for water quality, preparing discharge monitoring reports and whatnot. I've kind of evolved through that, followed some of the trends. I was with a SaaS computing company, uh, Software as a Service Cloud. And then um, last, I guess it was November, December, I was approached by a company called Fracta, who was applying artificial intelligence to water mains. And I've been thinking about getting back into the water industry for a number of years and was trying to figure out how best to come in. And they were, the opportunity was just such where they were looking for someone with an engineering background that had a sales and marketing background. And it, it just all kind of came together perfectly. So I, I feel very blessed. But I'm in Fracta now. We're focused on machine learning. And we're helping with the digitalization of, of water and the water industry. That's what we're doing right now. All right. So I, I really want to explore this, uh, this concept of digitalization of water. Um, and, and so can you, can you kind of frame up kind of the, the, you know, the, the basics of digital water? What, what is it and what are its capabilities? that there could be a problem. 
system is such that if it exceeds a certain pressure, the valve automatically shuts off. And then it opens up another valve and relieves the pressure to go somewhere else. I mean, those those are the kind of automations. But we even want to go, you know, one step further in that, um, you know, we can optimize those those decisions as well. So you could use something that could say, okay, perhaps there's a decision tree around how that valve closes or doesn't close. So now what happens is when it sees there's a problem, the machine goes through a a process of, of decision trees to decide whether it should open valve A, close valve B, open valve D, shut down the flow altogether. So there's a way of using all that to make decisions, and then from the from the machine making the decisions, it is actually integrated with the device out there, you know, in the uh, in the process itself to to execute whatever um, whatever change it's going to make. So when we're talking about um, digitalization of the the water industry and it, you're dealing a lot with pipes and you've mentioned valves and and mains and stuff like that so is this you know is this kind of an asset management uh yeah very much so it's, it's very much so we're our focus there's there's a number of there's you'll hear about smart, smart water initiatives which are focused i think more on the water source water availability water consumption and usage from a quantity You'll hear about water quality, which is dealing with the quality issues. But then you'll also hear about asset management, which is less about, of course it's all about water, but it's less about the water itself and more about the physical assets that pump, transport, control the water. And, and those assets, like any asset, if you look at it from a financial perspective, have a, have a useful life. And based on the useful life, you put a program in place to manage that asset so it works as optimally as it can across its useful life. But my focus and the focus of what we're doing right now is on the asset management side. And we, we particularly, in the organization I'm with, focus on water mains. But there's others out there that focus on other assets as well. You've got the tanks, the pumps, the valves, the meters. Um, and, and, and even within the water distribution system, you've got transmission lines, which are the big lines that come from the treatment system out to the water mains. The water mains are the assets underneath the streets, and then you've got the service lines, which connect to the distribution uh, to the water mains, which then actually bring the water to the, the consumer, into the house, or into the, the commercial entity. But in, in the digitalization that we're working on, that I've been focused on, and we're trying to innovate in, it is around asset management, as you say. Yeah. So, so how do utilities make the jump from traditional asset management to to the digitalization and AI of asset management? I mean, what what? Because that's it seems to me, at least from from my limited knowledge with it, that it's a pretty big informational gap to get from from traditional AM to uh, digitalization of AM because, and some utilities don't even have asset management, right? So, I mean, how do, how do you, how do you make the leap? And let me, let me answer that through examples of different types of levels of sophistication. If you're familiar with the maturity curve, if you look at a maturity curve, you start at the lower, it's, it's a test curve, right? You start at the lower end and it's, it's really an ad hoc situation. You know, there are no business processes, there's no defined systems, there's no real defined organization. Things are done all on an ad hoc. Then you start to move up through uh, a period, a point where you go from ad hoc to um, moving through managed and then up to optimized. And there's, there's usually five, five different um, states along there as you go. Um, we find that the jump to AI, machine learning, and digitalization is easy for those who have um, managed processes already and are moving towards optimized processes. So a good example in a mature utility, they have a GIS system. The GIS system has all the, the work is integrated with a either a computerized maintenance management system, which really is a work order system, or preferably it's integrated with an enterprise asset management system. That system might be integrated with the accounting system, um, and, it w and it may also be integrated with other software um, that is contributing both to the asset management and contributing to the GIS. But you have now this, all, all the information about the assets 
is is not only digitized, but it's also now has a geographical um, identity to it as well. So those utilities um, have been able to identify all their assets, keep track of what the assets are, when they were installed, what kind of condition they're in, and they do ongoing condition assessments. They're looking to get to the next piece of optimization. They've already uh, plucked, so to speak, all the low-hanging fruit. They're looking to make incremental improvements. So for them to go to something like artificial intelligence, machine learning, or some of these other more advanced digital tools is their next step of evolution. When you go to the opposite end of the curve, the people are an ad hoc. They're, in, they're, they're, they're not going to be able to take advantage of it. The, the next in. So what, what happens is the people at the low end really need to start by digitizing their assets. They need to be able to you know, get the information about their assets into a, di into a digital format. That normally comes, and as we're seeing it, as they, they're starting to, we see first that they're starting to put a GIS system in. So most of the utilities we talk with are putting in a GIS system, and they're either using the GIS system to start cataloging their assets, or the next step is they're going to a computerized maintenance management or an enterprise asset management system. Once they have the information digitalized, being able to go to something like an AI or ML tool, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, is much simpler. So, um, so it really takes having that asset data and, the, and the, the, the information around those assets that enables you to take advantage of these, these uh, innovative technologies that are coming out. So it, it's not a black or white thing. There's, there's various steps along the way. Uh, what are you seeing out there in the industry? You know, where, where are most of the utilities along the curve of getting their information digitized to, to full-on uh, you know, AI machine learning as you, you can, you know, what, what are you seeing out there in the industry? Well, from a, from a digit, from a digitized moving towards a digitalized, I think if you look at, um, and I forget the original author who came up with the technology adoption curve, I typically will refer to it by Jeffrey Moore's book, crossing the chasm. That's where I was introduced to it. But when you look at, you start with visionaries, you go to early adopters, then you go to early mass market, you go to the mainstream mass market, and then you go to the laggards. You know, the water industry itself is one of those laggard industries just by the just by design, just by nature of it. But what we're finding is <coughs> those folks that from a digitalization, digitization, digitalization that are past the early adoption period that have consumed the GIS, the, the as I said, the the other systems, they're they're early adopters of AI and the ML. So those folks are the ones that are going out, investing and trying it, and helping us and, and other vendors who are bringing the innovation to prove it, to demonstrate that it's credible. So what will happen is as we move from the early adopter stage into the early mass market, um, each utility will fit somewhere in those categorizations. So as we move into the early mass market, those who don't necessarily, who are not on the cutting edge, but are, will consume uh, credible technology, they'll start to take in the AI and the ML. And then the mass market will be all those who are waiting for the cost to come down, for it to get commercialized, for there to be established categories and brands. Then they'll start buying it. And then you'll have your laggards at the end, which are the ones that they're not going to do anything until everybody else is doing it. It's at its lowest possible cost. And if they don't do it, um, they're actually can't even compete. So that's kind of so we're we're in, we my particular organization we're in the early adopter stage moving towards the early mass market. There are some technologies out there that that may be moving a little bit faster, but I I think we're all you know fighting to you know as Jeffrey Morris has crossed that chasm, which is to get the technology into the hands of, of, of most of the utilities that are early adopters and that early mass market so that um, they are benefiting from it. And we start to see more articles, more discussions at AWWA, more discussions at ASCE, more discussions at the utility roundtables and things about, you got to be doing this, you know? So that's yeah. kind of where things are, where they're going. And I think, I think we're, I don't think we're light years out. I think we're, you know, months to years out, the way technology evolves so quickly right now, 
the, the movement across that adoption curve goes very, very quickly. I think, I think we're a year or two out on really adopting machine learning as a key tool, as a, a principal technology that's a must within asset management. It's really just a matter of the vendors um, being able to demonstrate enough maturity that they have the business back, they have the financial backing and the, and the ability to service the marketplace. And once that's fully demonstrated, I think it'll take off like a wildfire. Yeah. So, so my, my question, here's, a, here's, uh, I've got a bunch of questions after going, going through that and uh, they, they kind of go in different, in, in different directions. So let me start with the, the probably the, the one that people are most uh, often thinking about, it would be at least my guess is, you know, what are the benefits? Why would I, uh, adopt a machine learning technology? All right. So I'll give you a comp I'll give you an example. And this is an example that we use. Um, but there are, there's anecdotal data out there. EPA has published, or some folks have said EPA has published some data, but there is anecdotal data out there that says between 30 and as much as 90% of the water mains that are replaced by U.S. utilities that those water pipes still have what we call useful remaining life, which means the asset is still in good shape and, and really doesn't need to be changed out. So what happens is, let's just say the American Water Works and ASCE recommend about a 1% spend per year. 1% uh, of your miles of water mains should be replaced on an annual basis. They've come up with this 1% as being, if you do at least 1% to 1.2%, you will be keeping up with the, the useful life of your pipes and you'll also be keeping up with growth of your service area. So let's just use round numbers. If I'm doing, if I'm just say I've got a 3,000 mile system, on average it's about a million dollars per mile. So I'm gonna, and if I'm doing 1%, that's, that's um, essentially three mile, 30 miles at a million, uh, excuse me, three miles at a, at a million dollars a mile, that's $30 million. If 30 to 90 percent, let's just say if 30 percent of that is that the pipe you're taking out of the ground is has useful remaining life, if you can find a tool that can help you better decide which pipe to remove, and you can eliminate that and you can reallocate that 30 percent to the worst pipe, you're looking at improving your capex spend by as much as nine million dollars in a given year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That 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 makes it very clear. Are there other benefits besides, um, say, more efficient deployment of capital? Are there? Are there? Uh, you know, when we first when when we were first talking about this, you were you mentioned the valve and how the valve could redirect based on uh, you know if there are surcharges in the system or anything like that. I've, I've heard of utilities putting sensors out there. I don't know that they are machine learned. I think you know it's probably human controlled. For for that, but but are are there kind of system operational benefits in addition? Well, from again from from our lens, when you look at the water mains, um, service interruptions. No city council member, no mayor, um, no one who is running the water utility wants to get the call at two in the morning that a pipe just broke on Main Street. Right? I mean, think about the intangibles, traffic. That's, you know, that's the impact on, on commerce. You know, say, say that's, that line was going to a factory and now the factory doesn't have water. It means they can't get their products out. So you've got that, that piece of it. You also have the piece of the, where they have the operating and expense cost. It's much more expensive to, to fix a pipe that breaks than to replace it before it breaks. You know, because yeah. now you're spending, oper, you know, OPEX, operating expenses. So you've got those, those intangibles there as well. Um, the other one, which is kind of an opposite, but I think it's a funny story. We've heard stories where we've had people tell us that they've got in, they've, con they've hired contractors to go in and remove pipe, uh, to replace the pipe. The contractor goes in, sees that the pipe is good, throws it on the back of the truck, takes it 10 miles across town and sells it to an irrigation company so they can reuse it. So there's a lost value there. Yeah. So, and then, of course, there's the other side of it, which we haven't talked about, which is where we, where this asset management piece ties into the smarter water and the, and the smart water initiatives, which is non-revenue water loss. Um, I believe it was in the latest study that uh, Dr. Folkman did with Utah State on break rates, I think they estimated like 10 to 12% of non-revenue water loss comes from, from breaks, so let's just say failed assets. 
So again, if we can if um, if we can reduce non-revenue water loss, we um, it has an impact on supply, but it also has an impact on the rev on, on the utility being able to get more revenue. If you fix up all the the, the the dollar leakage, it puts less pressure on the rate payers. It puts less pressure on the utility to have to go back and ask rate payers for more money. So there's, in the end, that's really what it comes down to. And I did listen to your podcast, by the way, on the two gentlemen who spoke about the rate paying cases. And in the end, that's really the ultimate business case on, on, on improved asset management is making sure that you're, you're providing the best quality water at the level of service, you know, and, and making sure that everyone is paying a fair, a fair price, but not an unreasonable price. Um, Right, right. Um, and, and so I, I think my my next question, and I, I initially thought this went off on a different tangent, but I think it's going to come circle back and, and provide a benefit. But uh, uh, for, for machine learning, artificial intelligence, do you see this as a remedy for what what we kind of view as the looming labor shortage in the water utility industry? Can Can machine learning replace some of that human capital? It was always about replacing headcount, replacing headcount. I, I want to answer it a slightly a different way. I think what it does is it shifts your resources from lower value work to higher value work. And I'll use, I'll use an example of uh, even the engineers. Right now, the utilities spend a lot of money with either internally or externally with engineers trying to figure out which pipes to replace. They're using best professional judgment. They're using linear or multiple regression models. They're using some fancier models. But generally, that, that takes time to do. Machine learning will, in this case, will eliminate their need to do the mathematics and to do all that projection, where all their time will be spent, which will be more valuable, is making sure that the data that's going into the model is right and then taking the results that come out and applying them in a way that delivers the benefits that we previously talked about. So I think that there will be some displacement of human capital, but I don't know if it's gonna be wholesale putting people out of work or being able, being able to take people and shift them to more higher value delivery in whatever role they're going to be in of the future. The engineering companies also recognize this. If you, I don't know if you follow the engineering world, particularly I, I used to be in the design and engineering uh, and consulting. They're, go, they're all going through the, the digital transformation too because they realize that, that pure labor hours in a world of artificial intelligence machine learning isn't necessarily a sustainable business model for the long term. Um, so they're looking to be able to leverage some of these technologies themselves to be able to provide more value, but also create alternate business models for a more sustainable future for themselves as a business. So, so that's one example. But I do think there will be other areas where, yeah, I think the intelligence and the machine learning artificial will eliminate certain roles and change the way we do business, change the way we do certain business processes and the way we do certain parts of work. It, 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 we may not even, in 10, 15 years, we may not even recognize, we may not recognize that today what that is, but in 10 years, we're going to look at it, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting answer. I mean, I, 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 I think the, the, you know, I'm a lawyer, right? So, I mean, I think the legal community is going through that same thing. How can we, how can we shift uh, kind of the lower, lower to your legal work to uh, more kind of an automation type of thing so that you, you don't have to uh, build clients for that and stuff like that? So I think, I, th I think that thread that you've identified, shifting, shifting to higher value work, I think is, uh, uh, it's not unique to the water industry. It's, it's, it's cross uh, sector within the economy. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, I used to say in the last work I was doing, when you're a regulatory compliance specialist in industry, and I did that kind of work, you know, 90% of your time was spent collecting and capturing the data, and 10% of it was analyzing it. Or I'd say 90% it was capturing and putting it into the report format that needed to be submitted, and maybe 10 to 20% was the time you spent analyzing it to see how it affects your business. 
that needs to be shifted. It needs to be, it needs to be the other way. You need to spend 10 to 20 percent of the time collecting it and capturing it, and 80 to 90 percent of your time looking at it to figure out how can we improve our business, how can we make sure we're compliant, how can we make sure we're, you know, we're, ex- we're managing our assets most efficiently. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, we we kind of talked about this at the beginning, where at least where you identified the different stages of implementation. So, if if let's let's talk about the laggard class. So, if I'm in the laggard class and I want to start moving uh, uh, in towards machine learning AI, what what do I got to? What are my my first steps? What do I got to look for? into digital systems um, that are that are accurate that accurate and reliable and consistent so if you're for instance if you're you know your asset information is in still in log books or still in paper or it sits in your ERP and you in operations and engineering don't have access to it you've got to get access to that electronic data and it's got to be in ones and zeros right it's got to be in, in, in digital once you have it you know once it's digitized that then gives you the ability to go to the next stage so i think what we're seeing with most of the utilities they're all trying to get to a, a geographical information system and they're all trying to get to a digital asset management system and i know the EPA, the United States Environmental Protection Agency, has, I think it might be 15 years in the making now, but they have been you know, encouraging folks to go to digital asset management systems. And in fact, there are states right now, I think if it's Ohio, Indiana, and Michigan, are actually, you've either put guidance or rules on the books where they're requiring you to start to go to digital asset management systems. So I think digitizing your asset management your assets first in an asset management system and then adding geographical, you know, the geographical information to a GIS are the, are the two, two critical pre, predecessor, pre, preceding steps, excuse me, to, to get to um, be able to use AI and ML. Now, some of the other technologies out there, you know, if you're talking about um, using AI and ML, say, in water treatment, well, you're going to have other things you need to look at, right, other assets. You're going to have sensors. You're going to have um, monitoring devices and other things as well. So in those things, you have to be able to capture those in your, in your process automation systems. And most of the water utilities have SCADA and DCSs, so I think they're capturing it. The next step for them is to be able to take that raw process data and put it into systems that can uh, that transforms the data into into a format where the more advanced analytics tools like artificial intelligence, machine learning, can access it and use it to then run the algorithms and come back with the results. Got it. Now, any any experience in terms of, you know, how long it would take a typical utility, and I realize there's a broad range, but a typical utility to kind of get up, get up and get their stuff digitized, any average cost for doing that, stuff like that? I'm not going to throw cost up, but I will say from my experience in implementing software, it's, it's kind of the, the same no matter – a lot of it has to do with the size um, and the amount of data, but it generally takes six to 18 months to be able to, I would say, implement something like a GIS and, and an enterprise asset management system. The, the factors across that time span that affect the length of time is how much heavy lifting you have to do. You know, do we have to go back through 10 years of paper records and, put in, and, and transcribe them? You know, or do we have it somewhat available? So it's generally a six to eighteen month cycle. It could go to twenty four months. You know, if you're really, really printed. The other critical factor is the resources that you have available for the implementation. A lot of utilities are struggling trying to do this on their own. You know, they're bringing in GIS specialists. They're bringing in asset management specialists. Um, other utilities have, a, you know, decent sized budgets where they can bring in an engineering organization. There are a number of engineering organizations that have information uh, management system implementation specialists for different types of systems. But generally speaking, it's gonna it's it's a it's a road of 18 to 24 months. And the more resources you have, and the better shape the data is before you start the process, is really going to define how you go. And then 
on the other side of it too is you know the the, the size and the complexity of of your design of your system is, will also affect it too. From yeah. a cost standpoint, I have not been implementing myself asset management and GIS systems, so I don't feel it would be um, a good piece of data to put out there on the record. But I can tell you from doing regulatory compliance systems, you know, it could cost anywhere from fifty to you know half a million to three quarters of a million dollars to implement these systems, and that's not that's not including the purchase of the system itself. Right. And a lot of that a lot of that is labor. I mean, that, those the big numbers there. That's labor associated with consultants coming in to do it for you. Yeah. You know, at the, at the lower end, it may be hiring some temps or some people to help you with processing data. Right. So, and and let's say um, uh, once you get it upload, how do, how does how does artificial intelligence, machine learning, kind of integrate with existing plan, like strategic plans, other types of plans that that um, uh, that that the utility is going to have in place. I mean, is, is is are all those loaded in and part of the asset management system? Or so I'll, I'll use our, what we're doing as an example. So we we get we obtain what they call a shape file or the, or the, an output file from the geographical information system. Um, we receive that, and that will have the asset information. So for water mains, that's pipe ID, pipe location, pipe diameter, material of construction the date it was installed, whether it's got any lining or not. And then we, we like to get the, what we call break history, which is what, how many, what's the historical break history on a given segment of pipe? We get that information and there's a process in data science called wrangling. And wrangling essentially is getting the data, processing it and transforming it into the format or data type that the machine learning algorithm can recognize and process. So what we'll do is we'll get the, the data files from a utility, and it will take us a couple, you know, it could take anywhere from several days to several weeks to go through the data, check it to make, to, to check, clean it up, make sure it's, you know, it's accurate for, you know, and good enough for them, and, and it's got all the records that it needs to be able to then be transformed. Once you go into the machine learning algorithm, really depending on what kind of algorithm you're using, whether it's supervised or unsupervised or other, you know, there's a, there's a time to run the machine learning algorithm, calibrate it, get it validated, and once you're done, you run, it, you run the full model for all the data, and then you have your results in whatever output format you have. Our particular output format is, is graphical um, on, a, on a GIS-based map system using color coding. And then we also have the ability to download it into back into a shape file, which would go into a GIS or into a, a CDX, which is can be transformed or saved as a, an Excel file. Our process can take anywhere from four to eight weeks. It, it's very fast, very efficient. Others may take longer, but um, the, the as we say in project management world, the long pole or the real that the longest part of the activity is obtaining the data reviewing it, cleaning it up, validating it, and transforming it, running the machine learning algorithm, and then presenting the results and, 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 and teaching the, the utilities how to interpret the results and how to apply them are, the, are really the short poles in the process. Got it. Got it. So, so let me ask you another question here. Once you got the system uh, integrated, integrated, it's set up, it's running, um, I got to think one of the benefits of this is not having, I mean, we've, we've all experienced this where you, you work on a strategic plan or you work on your asset management plan. You got a nice glossy covered binder that how, how it's going to work. And then it sits on the shelf and gathers dust. Uh, uh, how, how, I think I know the answer, but how does machine learning solve that particular problem? Well, it's, that's going to depend on each, each vendor who's offering a system, right? So I think where the direction is going um, in many cases is to be able to offer it in a, in a cloud-based solution where you just log in and then you have a geographical information you know, view. You're, ge you're basically looking at it on, on your computer screen and you're clicking on, diff you're clicking on the assets or you're and, you get in and you're reading the data and reviewing it that way. There's no glossy reports. You know, um, it's really being able to go into the system and look right at your monitor and be able to, you know, click down to the small, you know, click down into the details and, and get the information that you need. And then if you need bulk information, it, it's, again, downloading it into a, digital, into a digital format. That's one of the things that we like to talk about is um, you're getting away from static 
temporal report that done every five years, typically what rate cases every five, seven years, maybe, maybe you do a disecure in there for another year or two, but generally it's a five year cycle. So what do you do? You spend 300 to, you spend anywhere from 50 to a million dollars to have an engineering company put a big binder on your, on your shelf. You know, your engineers take the binder and they, they and you together, you all work it out into your capital improvement plan, your repair and replacement plan, you build it into your rate case. But then everything sits there for five years and it becomes a compliance docket. One of the things we've talked with utilities about is they don't want those big binders anymore. Um, or actually the, the superintendents of the utilities and the people at the top, they don't want those static binders anymore. They don't want the engineers to look at those binders as compliance programs. They want to be able to have the data in a dynamic environment where they can go in, look at it, and, and make changes on a day-to-day -day basis. Make, uh, change the decision. This is the digitalization part. Change the way you make decisions. Just because it says we're going to do pipes 7, 12, 14, 37, and 39 next year, well, if a new tool comes out and tells me that I only need to do um, pipe 9 and I should do six other pipes, just because the, the, the big binder with the dust on it says that we were supposed to do those five, we need to be able to change up our process to be able to do the other things because we've got tools that are telling us we can make better decisions and make better choices. Right, right. It's a living plan. It's not a static plan. I like the way you kind of kind of exactly. frame that up. Um, good. Exactly. Is is there is there a typical utility size before you can you can see a lot of these benefits? I mean, do you have to have so so many customers or so many miles of pipe or anything before you can see see the benefits? of the asset data and then the more break history data you have helps um, we've done but we've been able to do anything from a hundred mile system up to a 7,000 mile system um, and with with pretty good act with pretty good um, accuracy you know, the, so and the utilities have been pretty happy with the results I think the second answer is with machine learning the more you process the smarter the algorithm gets what we're looking at is, you know, how many miles total have we processed? Our, our, has our, our proprietary machine algorithm is not just looking at each individual utility as its own. If we can get enough utility mileage, we could actually, the system can learn from all the utilities almost as an interconnected system to then benefit not only the larger and medium-sized utilities, but the smaller utilities who may not have the resources. You know, we, we envision that maybe one day, we, you know, we can actually go into a utility and build out, you know, show them their system and show them what, what their problems could be from there, you know, kind of model, model it because they don't have the data. So it's, it's a matter of um, having correct asset data, having enough break history, uh, more so than the number of miles and the size of the utility. But then on the second piece, it's the more miles that we can model and the more breaks we can see across the board, the more accurate the model will be for everybody. Got it. Well, well, Doug, you've been awesome today. I really appreciate you taking some time. I've kept, kept you about eight and a half minutes longer than I promised I would. So uh, I just want to say thank you so much. I've learned a tremendous amount. And uh, uh, for those folks who want to find out more about you and Fracta, where can they go to get that information? Well, it's uh, www.fracta.ai, F-R-A-C-T-A. And you can contact me at dhatler at fracta.ai, or I'm pretty prolific on LinkedIn. And David, I just want to say one thing for your podcast, your website, the work you do. You're carrying a full load of the lawyer. You've got a family. What you're doing up for water, um, fantastic. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it, all of us out there in the, in the industry and in the community. Oh, well, thanks, Doug. And your check's in the mail. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, well, Doug, I, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been it's been great getting to know you a little bit, and uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome, David. Thank you again as well. Have a great day. All right, thanks, Doug. Bye. What a great interview Doug gave, and what a terrific guy. We've corresponded for a while, and, and uh, heart of gold, terrific guy. Uh, you've, you may have met him out at, like, uh, AWWA ACE or some other water conferences. Really exciting stuff that Fracta is doing, bringing uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning to infrastructure. So I'm very interested to see where this all leads. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's just exciting to, to kind of have the opportunity to talk with Doug in these early stages, uh, before, you know, kind of we're in the, like he indicated during the interview, we're in the early adoption stage of AI and machine learning. So, uh, Doug, thank you very much. Great having you on. And I look forward to, to talking with you in the future.
Well, tell, tell me what you thought about uh, this episode. You can go to the show notes at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod one, two, nine. Uh, leave a comment on the show notes. Email me at David at the water values. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values. You can tweet at me using my handle, which is at DTM one nine nine three. And please, again, as I indicated in the beginning of the show, rate and review the podcast uh, on Apple uh, podcasts, on Stitcher, tune in, whatever you, uh, whatever podcast directory you're listening on would appreciate getting that rating and review. And if you'd like to support the podcast, I help defray some of the costs of putting the podcast on, such as, you know, web hosting fees, media hosting fees, Skype fees, all these uh, fees, they, they do add up. Uh, please go to the website, thewatervalues.com. On most of the pages, you'll see a little PayPal button kind of on the lower right side. You kind of scroll down, click on that. Any denomination would be greatly appreciated to help defray the cost of the podcast. Um, so with that, another great episode comes to a close. Thanks again to Reese Tisdale for his Bluefield on Tap segment. And thanks so much to Doug Haller of Fracta uh, for his uh, great talk uh, that went, you know, like, like over eight minutes or nine minutes longer than I anticipated. So appreciated him spending that extra time with me. So thanks so much to, to Doug and Fracta. And uh, in closing, just please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.